Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Welcome to part 10 out of 10 of the Investor Bootcamp mini-series on the Australian Investors Podcast. In this short podcast, I'm going to walk you through the importance of having a checklist or some type of investment process, showcase some examples, and provide a discount on our Value Investor Program, our full online investor training program. I firmly believe that being good at long-term investing is as much about the artful side of investing as it is about the science. You've probably heard the debate art versus science. However, too much of one and not enough of the other can lead you astray. For example, if you believe the best way to invest is to take five stock valuation ratios like the PE ratio, price to book, so on and so forth, and just blindly buy the shares, you'll probably be rudely surprised that your companies underperform or you find yourself in value traps. Conversely, if you disregard profitability or management's capital allocation and you just buy into the stories of great companies, your portfolio will probably become a graveyard of empty promises. Stepping backward for a moment, if we consider that investing is also a deeply personal thing, we then have to appreciate that behavior plays a very big role in our outcomes. Since every human being is fallible, even Warren Buffett or Elon Musk, using some type of scientific rule or measure to keep us on track is worthwhile. For me, using an investment checklist that allows me to filter companies, track my results and improve over time is paramount. There are two basic checklists that I use. I use a five-point investment checklist or process, and I've included this as a PDF in the show notes. It's free to download. You can access it via your podcast player, or if you go into the Google Doc, the Investor Bootcamp Training Manual, which is also free, you can download it there. I use this five-point investment checklist to remind me that I'm looking for companies that I can understand with competitive advantages, good management, some type of growth, and a reasonable valuation when I make the investment. So there are five things there. However, when it comes to individual companies, I also use another checklist. The full checklist includes about 40 to 50 different factors or points that I'm looking for, and they target, in a broad sense, the five areas I just outlined. For example, companies I can understand, companies with competitive advantages, so on and so forth. We built this checklist, this extended 40 to 50 point checklist, using our experience in finding good companies in the past, but we also built it from our failures. For example, there are some questions in there that prompt me for accounting statement analysis. In the past, I owned Slater and Gordon, the law firm. It recorded a lot of accounting profit, but had pretty terrible cash flow. And that's because of an accounting, I guess, oversight on my end, which showed a work in progress line item, which I didn't fully scrutinize. So now that accounting treatment is actually included in my checklist. So it's come from a point of failure to turn into something that now I can look at in the future and make sure I've, I've checked that part off in my list. The checklist that I've created and that the RAS team have created scores companies across each of those five areas I just mentioned. 
while also spotting for those types of errors, which I just mentioned in the form of Slater and Gordon. At the end of the checklist, we can total up the scores. So we have all of the areas that we're looking at in our checklist and we get a score for a company. We can use that score as a measure of the quality of the investment, or we could use it, for example, to rank companies in terms of priority. So if one company scores 80 and the other company scores 60, we know that the company that scores 80 should be at the top of the research list, as in that's the top of the pile. We will research that company before the other one because it seems to be higher quality and be closer to what we're looking at. Now, this is important because it saves you time and effort. If there are over 2,000 companies in Australia and more than 10,000 overseas, how do we manage that list? We can use that big checklist at the start. We can find the sectors or areas of the uh, market that interest us and fit within our circle of competence. And then once we find the companies, we can run them through this checklist and we can then grade them effectively so we know which ones we want to focus on first. In the show notes, I have included a small snippet of the checklist. This snippet is only one part of our checklist and it focuses on a company's product. So we run every company through the full checklist, but I've included just this snippet to give you a taste of what's on the checklist. I cover the full checklist using examples like ARB, the bull bar company here in Australia, or Zero, the accounting software company, or Magellan Financial Group, the fund manager in the Value Investor Program. However, I'll go through the product part of our checklist now, and I'll explain basically how we do it. So one of the questions that we ask is, is the business model or product easy to understand? And we give the company a score for this. We might say a company that has a technical product that we can understand is a good score. So if we can understand it, that's good because we have some sort of technical analytical kind of edge here. But if it's really easy to understand, that's also good because for us, that means that we can understand the company. We have that sleep at night factor, etc. If we find for whatever reason that the, the business model or the company's product isn't that easy to understand and we can't really get our head around it, then it receives a lower score. Another question that we ask as part of our checklist is, is the company's product mission critical and does it have customer dependency? So what we're talking about is here, we're talking about companies that have pricing power. We're trying to find companies that might have some sort of switching cost where it's hard to take the company's product out of their workflow or out of their service and replace it because we're looking for companies that embed themselves in another company's or the customer's lives. Let's use a very kind of trivial example from a consumer company, which is Afterpay. When Afterpay started, it was just a payment solution that anyone could pick up and use. But over time, consumers who use Afterpay have got more used to using that, the tool and may even rely on it for cash flow uh, with their personal finances. Another example might be Intuit, the accounting software provider from the United States. Its software is so deeply embedded in the workflow of small companies, it would get a very high score for this. A company that doesn't sell a product which is mission critical, so a type of company that sells a discretionary item, an item that most people only spend on if they have excess cash, might be a company that's more cyclical, it might have earnings which are harder to predict, and therefore it receives a lower score on this item. Another one is product market fit. Does the company or does the company's product have scalable product market fit? 
So here we're looking for if the company's product is really catching on with its target audience and if more people are using it, can it also grow to more and more customers so that it can scale well while also maintaining that fit in the marketplace? Some companies you might find just simply don't have the take-up that you originally anticipated or that you would expect for a company like that. You can look at the growth rates of a company's revenue. You can look at the number of installed devices or units. You can just track simply the the sales volume. And here, what we're looking for is companies that have that product market fit. They are selling. The product is almost selling itself. Customer acquisition costs might be falling as on a per unit basis. And revenue per unit may be going up because the company is proving that it can actually deliver these products to its customers. So companies that have scalable product market fit get a higher score than those that don't. Another question that fits into our product category as part of our checklist is that what is the product's secret source and is this strengthening? I've heard that some companies in the past or some investors rather describe this as basically the essence of a company. What is the essence of this company? Why does it exist? Why do companies, why do customers choose this company's product or service? And is that reason getting stronger? How is the company unlocking or creating value for its customers and people? That's the key question to ask when you're answering this. How does it unlock the value and how much does it capture? This is a really important part in our product uh, component of the checklist because it basically says, why are people choosing this? Will they keep using it? And do I think the value proposition is getting better, meaning that more customers are going to choose it and it can scale well? The final item that I'll mention as part of this product section in our checklist is a top dog, disruptor, or first mover advantage. So here what we're talking about is companies that are at the inflection point or on their path to hitting an inflection point with their product. So if there is a company that does, is not the top dog, has you know some type of disruption capability, or is already in the inflection point and you can see revenue scaling, you can see sales scaling, you can see unit volume increasing, this is what we would maybe call crossing the chasm. And this is where a company um, has already started to deliver a product. It's found out what works with its customer and its target audience, and it is accelerating sales each and every year. This doesn't necessarily mean 100% growth. It could be 10 or 20% growth consistently year over year. But what we're just trying to find is, is this company's product a, a product that is going to keep growing? And is it in a market that is important to the customers? So is it catching on? Is it you know out of that early stage of really nascent growth where it's, yes, it might have some revenue, but it's not quite on the track yet. This is a really important component for our checklist. Within our overall checklist, the product section, which I've just mentioned, makes up about 14 points. I've gone ahead and scored ARB Corp and Magellan for this section of our checklist, and I've included that in the show notes. It turns out that both companies for us score very similarly. Both companies get a 9.5 out of 14 for the product section of our checklist. So ARB gets a 9.5 and so does Magellan. Now, this is not necessarily you know, indicative of the entire score. In fact, if I just scroll down on my checklist, I've got it in front of me. Uh, ARB, out of the total score available to ARB in our overall checklist, it gets a 78.5 and Magellan gets a 75, which is a very high score. Now, 
where do these companies differ, I guess, is the important question here. Like how, in terms of our checklist and looking at the products, how do they differ? For, for me, Magellan gets a higher score in terms of understanding if the product is easy. Uh, so if the product is easy to understand, Magellan gets a slightly higher score. It is very easy to understand Magellan's business model. It gets investors into its funds. It charges a management fee done. ARBs is also easy to understand in the sense of it creates bull bars and 4x4 accessories for its 4x4 clients and for its uh, channel partners. But the thing is, ARB's product does require shipping from overseas or from its factory in Victoria. It's a little bit more complicated in how it designs its products to meet the latest makes and models of 4x4s and SUVs. Another point where these two companies differ, and this is where ARB gets a higher score, it gets a three out of a total score of three, a total available score of three, and Magellan gets a two, is this is the question, it's what's the company's secret source and is it strengthening? I've given ARB Corp a three out of three because I think its secret source is its ability to attract higher prices for its bull bars over, say, competitors like TJM. Uh, It's got higher safety ratings across most of its bull bars. It fits more models. And ultimately, all this means that it's kind of got this brand value that people tend to gravitate towards simply because of it's a kind of entrenched, um, I guess, leadership in the industry. In the industry of 4x4 and off-road, ARB is the number one uh, brand for bull bars and accessories. Now, across the road, if we look at Magellan's business model and we say, well, what's its secret source and is its, um, I guess, product leadership uh, getting better or worse? In recent times, what we've seen is a few headwinds hitting Magellan's business model. We've seen the company's core funds management business really kind of taking a, a backward step. Not a com- It's not going completely backwards, but it's taking a backward step in the sense of it has lost a few of its key institutional clients. Um, some of those clients have gone to other places to seek out funds management capabilities. So I guess it would be remiss of me not to factor that into my score. But for the most part, it still gets a two out of three because it still has a very strong analyst team. It's got, you know, closed end funds, meaning that money can't escape from some of the funds. And it's got a really, you know, solid executive management team. So it still scores pretty well. And you can see here across just these five questions or these five points on the checklist, both companies come out very similarly. Um, And I'd encourage you to go away and do this for yourself. Not too long ago on the show, we had Brian Feroldi, an author and investor out of the United States. You may remember Brian because the uh, conversation was mostly about finding quality companies rather than focusing on the cheapest companies. Brian has um, full links and access to his own checklist available on his website. But one of the things that was interesting to me in the discussion with Brian was that He basically says you should make the checklist your own based on all of the things that you're looking for. So I've mentioned in this podcast how this is the checklist that I use and the team at Rask use to find and score companies. You should do the same for your own process. You should think about your own investment philosophy. What types of companies am I investing in? What is my circle of competence? Maybe it's resources, maybe it's um, healthcare companies, what have you. Then how can I design an investment process around that? And how do I design my investment checklist, whether it's in a spreadsheet, whether it's in a notion board, wherever you do it, how can I design my checklist to fit my investment process and philosophy? Um, you can get, you can see an example of what I've done in both of the resources that are available to you in the show notes for this episode. And I would encourage you to do that. As I said at the top of the show, it's really important that over time, 
your investment checklist evolves with your investing. As you learn new things, as you experience new things, whether it's a failure at an investment or a success, what led to that success and how can you incorporate more of that in your investment process and your filtering process over time? That is the importance, I think, of a checklist. Ian Castle, who's the founder of Microcap Club, has some great tweets on using an investment checklist. And here's one that kind of flies in the face of using one in, I guess, isolation. Ian tweeted uh, in 2019, he said, if investment success was as easy as a, quote, checklist, all pilots, engineers, and accountants would be Warren Buffett. Investing is an art, not a science. Now, I agreed with that quote to an extent. But what I would say is there are benefits of creating your own checklist. It helps you stay on track. It helps you almost kind of keep your own investment journal. It helps you identify companies that you should spend time researching that may fit what you're looking for. Because without this, you may not know necessarily if Adobe or Salesforce is the company that you should research first. Now, you could pick either one of those companies for sure. But if you had some type of context, i.e. you've scored them, you've run them through your checklist, which may take one or two hours, then you can go, okay, Adobe scores better than Salesforce for me. Therefore, I'm going to spend time on that company first. And it's in this way, we're not actually saying because a company scores well, we're going to invest in it. What we're saying is we're, because a company passes through our checklist pretty well, we're therefore going to spend more time researching. It. And then you can go on with your valuation and do all that type of work. So that's important to, I guess, keep in mind. There was a there was a, a book written, um, and it was, I believe, about over 400 pages purely on investment uh, on investment checklists. So it was written by Mike, Michael Schoen, and um, it was actually 385 pages. And he talks about the art of creating an investment checklist. And there is a link to this um, in to this book in the show notes. So please go ahead and look at this if you want to read for 385 pages on how to create the best investment checklist for you. Um, it's a fantastic book, and I know it receives some pretty good reviews from a lot of people. But what I would say is please jump into the show notes and check out our investment checklist there, our five-part checklist, which is for our overall what are we looking for type investment checklist. And then you can use see the snippet of the product section of our individual company checklist. We also have another one for ETF investing. Now onto the second part of this podcast, which is talking about our value investor program. And I'll be brief. The value investor program is our full online investor curriculum. So in the value investor program, we cover basically everything that I would have wanted to know about investing in real life uh, in one course. So for example, uh, as part of the course, what you would receive if you enroll is full valuation spreadsheets and modeling. You will receive the, the full checklists, Notion checklists. So you can download our investment checklists in PDF, in Google Sheets form, in a Notion board if you want to do it that way too. Um, it also includes access to things like an DIY investment guide, which is like a, an investment policy statement for yourself that you fill out and you create so that you can keep your long-term wealth creation and goals on track. But then we also, in collaboration with Equity Mates, pulled our best investors podcast episodes out of the series, put them into uh, the program in a very specific order. So if you're thinking about investing, you're thinking, okay, Owen and the team have done hundreds of podcasts. How do I know which ones are right for me? And if I want to learn about individual companies, well, I've done that for you. 
And the team and I have put together our favorite episodes in order of how we think you should take the podcast, as well as um, we've prompted you with quizzes and uh, a PDF that you can then put your notes into. Uh, and then we've asked equity mates to do the same. I asked them to identify their five favorite episodes for investors who are learning. We talk about things like the psychology of great investors. And this course is not just purely in podcast form. It's not just in video form. It's also written. We also have downloads and things that you can do in your own time. So we have a section on the psychology of the greatest investors. And basically what we've garnered from reading, interviewing, and speaking with great investors what behavioral advantages do they tend to exhibit? How can you overcome some of the the behavioral, I guess, shortcomings that our minds are, are so, I guess, uh, prone to? Uh, then we talk about investment philosophy and how you can uh, overcome and you can decide on which way do I want to invest and why do I want to invest that way? Then we talk about the investment process, including the investment checklist. We talk about filtering and screening companies using software to do that, how to create your own investment thesis. Um, I, I walk you through financial statement analysis and how to check companies for each of these items. And then we start rolling into some of the more nitty gritty side of investing, uh, which is like, how do you build a portfolio? How do you rebalance portfolios? How do you bring them together? Um, in one of the lessons in particular, I outlined 10 reasons that investors typically sell their investments, whether it's a share or whether it's you know, an ETF, a managed fund, whatever. Um, 10 reasons people tend to do that. And I outline why two or three of them are really the only reasons that people should sell. Then the final section is by far our biggest section and the most important for many of our uh, investor program participants. And this is all about valuation and modeling. In this section of the course, I provide overviews of how to create valuation models, how they work, um, calculating things like the cost of capital and expected returns. This is not a course for uh, pure jargon. It's not a course like an encyclopedia. It's not Investopedia. This is a book with real life case studies. I talk about things like multiples analysis using why some investors choose to use multiples over discounted cash flow or dividend models. We talk about working capital and how to understand the sales cycle of a business and then we launch into five examples. So five examples from the ASX. These examples over time are going to include companies like Adore Beauty, ARB Corporation. We're going to talk about Zero. We're going to talk about a company called Ordinate, which does audiovisual. Uh, we're going to talk about a small cap company called Laserbond, which has been mentioned on this show before. And we're going to talk about all of these companies and we're going to do full case studies, worked examples with valuation checklists and so on and so forth. And they'll all be in video format so you can watch them back at any time and take them at your leisure with the ability to take your own notes in the spreadsheets and documents that we provide. So the Value Investor Program is a full curriculum. It's kind of like the next leg up from the Value Investor Bootcamp series here on the Australian Investors Podcast. It's taken over a year to put together with Equity Mates. It's by far the biggest and most extensive course we've ever taken and produced. It is bigger than Value Investor 1.0, which was our first foray into this space. Um, already uh, over 100 students have enrolled into the course in just a few weeks. Um, and we're doing live sessions as at the date of this recording. So we're getting more and more uh, students come on and get live feedback from me and anyone else who provides that feedback to them. So it's a full program that's designed to take people from feeling like they're not very confident with their investing to really just opening up and feeling like, oh, I can take this. I can springboard from this into 
um, my own investments. I can take an idea that I read about online in a news article or on a forum or something like that, and I can fully research this company for myself and I'm confident in my abilities. So it's kind of taking you from, oh, I lack the confidence. You know, I, I don't really know if I'm confident to have even a conversation with another investor. Um, many students also take this course because they want to have, they want to start a career in finance or investing. I spoke to someone just yesterday and I said, this is the course, um, not to talk my own book, but just to say, this is exactly why we designed this course. And there, then there are many investors who take this course or the one before it who are private investors who just want to get more out of their investing. Um, it's basically the course that takes you from idea to research to valuation and allows you to do that confidently. You could even use many of the skills. In fact, I use many of the skills taught in this course to research private companies. In the course, I talk about the difference between private and public companies and how you can use these skills regardless of whatever type of company you're looking at. So the course includes over 20 hours of full HD video, multiple valuation spreadsheets, uh, Notion downloads, checklists, PDFs, you name it, it's in there. It's not a course, just full disclosure, it is not a course that, like you would find in academia. This is a course with real case studies. It's applied learning um, through you doing and following along as I go through each of the examples of companies and so on and so forth. So if you're looking for more academic type learning, more theoretical type learning, that's what a university is for. This course is much more geared towards people who actually want to invest their money or want to learn how people in industry do it. So thank you for listening to my spiel on the Value Investor Program. If you are interested in the course, you can follow the link in the show notes or by downloading um, the Investor Bootcamp. You'll find it in the resources section there. And you can use the code BOOTCAMP, that's B-O-O-T-C-A-M-P, on the RASC website to save $100 off the fee. The fee is normally $499 and it's down to $399 with the, the, the coupon code. So please use that. It will save you some money and it's not a very expensive course considering that you know, this is a course that some people take in just a few days in their own time. Some people take it over many months uh, and get so much value from it. Some people take it twice or three times um, because they want to get more and more from the course. So please, if you're interested, follow the link in the show notes, use that coupon code, and you can join me inside the Value Investor Program, which is our most comprehensive value investing training we've ever launched. Um, and finally, if you enjoyed the Investor Bootcamp series, uh, you don't need to pay us anything to help us out. You can actually just give us a review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can leave us a review, it all really helps us. This is a totally free 10-part series designed to help you and many other investors get better at investing, stop making as many mistakes, and start to feel more confident with your investing. As always, you can download the Investor Bootcamp Training Manual. It is a Google Doc. It is free. It is right in the podcast player in front of you. You can access it. Click File in the top left corner. Click Download as Microsoft Word or PDF or however you get um, your information. It includes all of our favorite books, all of our favorite podcasts, all of our favorite resources for getting yourself from beginner investor to intermediate investor and beyond. So please take advantage of all the resources, follow up with all the expert guests that have appeared in this series so far, like Luke Winchester, Anirban Mahanti, Danielle Ekuye, uh, Claude Walker, Andrew Page. So many great investors have contributed to this free series, the Investor Bootcamp mini series on the Australian Investors Podcast. And thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for supporting us at Rask and what we do in educating Australians and Kiwis and everyone around the world to invest better. So thank you for taking part in the Investor Bootcamp 
mini-series on the Australian Investors Podcast. I'll see you in the next episode.